Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we continue our journey through the gospel according to Luke. Um, pray that you were encouraged last week as, you, as we went through seeing that Jesus submitted himself to God's plan, that he found um, an opportunity to be faithful to his Father and not to figure things out on his own, not to jump ahead of schedule, not to um, do what was simple and easy, but instead to take the difficult, long, hard road that was ahead of him. And so we get to this point in Luke chapter 4, and now, finally, as we ended last week and as we pick up this week, finally Jesus is actually beginning his ministry. And so this morning, what we're going to see from Jesus as he begins his ministry is that what he begins his ministry as will be much of what his ministry is moving forward. So what we see this morning is going to be an example representative of his entire ministry um, up unto his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And so this morning, we've mentioned it over the past couple weeks specifically, but this morning I want us to see that Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, that Jesus proclaimed the gospel in local communities in order to display his authority and mission. Now, of course, you'll see in there, I, I kind of built in our gospel community mission, um, our slogan, our vision as a church in a capacity, um, because it just fit in well with what we're seeing in this text. Um, and so you see those three words, gospel, community, and mission, used a little bit differently as far as community goes. But again, I'll, I'll repeat this because I, I think this is important for us to see, to see what Jesus does and then how we can learn for ourselves what our ministry should look like, having, looked, having had a good look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the power of the Spirit... Jesus proclaimed the gospel in local communities in order to display his authority and mission. So let's read in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues, of Judea. It's a, a bit of a, a long text, and just as a, a note, as we um, now pick up on Jesus' ministry and we get all of these stories about his healings, um, what I'm going to intend to do um, each week is really to take big chunks and to see how these big chunks of text, maybe a whole chapter at a time, fit in with each other, and the reason why Luke puts these stories in the order that he does, why he groups them in the way that he does, um, so that we can see um, the overall picture of what Luke is trying to represent to us about Jesus and Jesus' ministry. Um, And so we're usually not going to focus on just one individual story by itself. And that's why, as we have this morning, I mean, we really could break this up into three different sermons or four different sermons But I want us to see how these things flow together, how, again, as I began this morning, this is representative of the way in which Jesus ministered during his ministry. While what he did was he depended on the Spirit. So in the power of the Spirit, Jesus proclaimed the gospel. He preached the good news. This is why he came. This is what he says at the beginning and the end of our text this morning. I mean... Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about Him went out through all the surrounding country. And He taught 
in their synagogues, being glorified by all. What do you think he was teaching? Well, he himself, at the end of our text this morning, says, I was sent for this purpose. What purpose? Verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. He must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. This was what he was teaching. He wasn't just teaching people what the Old Testament had to say. He was saying, I am fulfilling the Old Testament. Understand the Old Testament properly. And the way to understand it properly is to look at me and look at me as being the one who is fulfilling all of the promises that have been made. All of the prophecies that have been made are, being, are coming to life now, are being fulfilled through me and through my ministry. As I depend on the Spirit, as I proclaim to you the truth of the kingdom of God and that the things that have been promised are now at hand. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. He has come to proclaim the gospel. And one of the things that I think is important for us to see, as we saw last week, Jesus utilized God's word. Jesus did not just preach the gospel from his own thoughts, from his own feelings, from his own ideas, but he utilized specifically the Old Testament in order to proclaim the gospel. Sometimes we can interact with people and I've interacted with um, other teachers, other um, youth leaders or pastors in this area. And there's one particularly that I talked to years ago. And he, he thought that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And he thought that the Old Testament was just a bunch of rules and laws and things that don't pertain to people nowadays. He thought that there was a complete, distinct demarcation, a, a separation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they didn't flow in together. This is what a lot of people would think. But Jesus, as we see here, he uses the Old Testament, as we saw last week. He uses the Old Testament in order to show that what God has done, what God has said, still applies and affects our lives today. The way in which he desired and expected his people to live in the Old Testament is much the same way as he desires and expects us to live, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. These are Old Testament ideas that we find again, preached again by Jesus and by his followers in the New Testament. The Old Testament if you read it properly, is our books and stories about God's grace. There is a lot of killing. There is a lot of destruction. There, is a lot of, there are a lot of negative things that happen in the Old Testament. But throughout all of them, there is a constant understanding that God is being gracious toward His people and that God is being gracious toward this world. We've, I, I've gone through this, I, I, I was on a kick there for several months, where almost every week I repeated the phrase about who God was, that the God, our God, the Lord our God is gracious and merciful, or merciful, right? You remember that word? It's been a little while since I've used it. 
is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. He, he's quick to forgive. He, he wants to relent from sending disaster upon people. He shows grace again and again and again and again because his people need grace, because he knows that we are fallen sinners who want to go our own way, who want to do our own thing. But God is gracious. And we see again and again in the Old Testament how even though God's people walk away from him and turn away from him and do the exact opposite of what he commands them and desires them to do, time and time again, he gives them another chance. He saves them out of certain disaster. He uses the people who had no strength and no ability on their own to show himself mighty on their behalf so that they would see that he really is God and that these other gods are not gods and that they can't depend on the other kings and the other kingdoms to save them, that they shouldn't depend on the things of this world, but that they should depend on him. And so what we see from Jesus is that he himself is depending on the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and all throughout his ministry, ministry Jesus is depending on that Spirit. And he's using God's Word so that people might clearly understand what God has said, because a lot of people don't understand what God really has said. I didn't point this out last week, and I think it's a good chance for us to do it right now, is look at verse um, 10. Actually, we'll begin in verse 9 of Luke chapter 4. And note that this is Satan talking. This is the devil talking. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Now notice the devil is quoting scripture. All right. Psalm 91. He's quoting scripture. It says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil knows scripture. But the devil, like us sometimes, unbeknownst to ourselves, unintentionally sometimes, twists scripture. He takes scripture out of context. He uses scripture for his own purposes and for his own means. And this is sometimes what we have been taught. We've been taught wrong things sometimes about scripture. We've been led to believe that scripture is telling us that we should have all the health that this world can provide, that we should have all of the money that this world has to offer, that we should have all of the comforts that this world wants to give us and that is at our fingertips as people who live in America. There are many ways that we can misunderstand and misinterpret and misapply Scripture. The devil himself tries to actively do it against Jesus. And we see that Jesus, when he uses Scripture, in our text this morning, starting in verse 18, when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, not quotes, but reads, we see that as we, and you might have picked up on when, when I read through the, our passage together, that Jesus kind of explains that this proclamation of the good news to the poor, this recovering of sight to the blind, this releasing of captives, this the oppressed no longer being oppressed, 
this proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor is not just for the Jewish people, but you see, the people in Nazareth didn't like the fact that as Jesus then sort of preaches this text, as He helps people understand it more accurately after He reads it, that God cares about more than just the Jews. God cares about more than just Nazareth. God cares about more than just the people in the synagogue who seem like they're doing the right things by going to church every week and by living lives that seem morally upright. They have misunderstood Scripture and some of what Jesus does and intentionally sort of poking and prodding at their lack of understanding when it comes to prophecies, when it comes to understanding the Messiah, when it comes to understanding God's intention for His people in this world. He says, this is more than just about you. This is about me making all things new. And what happens when Jesus reads God's Word, when He uses God's Word, and when He explains God's Word, and when He says, look at me as the fulfillment of this Word, and how it's more than just about me going to this one little group of people and, and having my ministry be all about you and this town and this place. When He says that my ministry is all about reaching the entire world. And by beginning in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem to the Jews, to the people that God has set apart to be His people, to be a light to the nations. Jesus says, this is why you're here, to be a light to the nations. And some people, many people, don't like it. Just to show you, just in case we're not sure that Jesus really came to preach, even though He says it in verse 43 explicitly, look at as He reads Isaiah chapter 61. And whenever Jesus gets this scroll, whenever He goes in the synagogue and He reads, He probably would have requested this scroll from Isaiah. And He reads, and look at these, the words that are used for, I mean, it says proclaim. I mean, we're using the English Standard Version, but it says proclaim. This is one of the reasons why when we say proclaim the gospel, build each other up in community, and send each other out on mission, why we use this word proclaim. Verse 18 of our text in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus wants us to see is that His ministry is not just about miracles. His ministry is about the proclamation of the gospel. And the miracles are meant to kind of undergird that teaching, to show that this teaching really is true. That when He says He is the Messiah, when He says that He is the Son of God, He has the power to back that up. And what's amazing is he hasn't even done the miracles yet when we see about how the people react to his words. 
Verse 20, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at what? His miracles? No, at his words. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So what, what he senses from them is that though he has some initial peace with them, though he has some initial rapport with them, though he shows himself to be a learned guy, he also is able to read into people's hearts and to know what they truly think and what they truly believe and where they really are. And he knows that they're going to look at him, this boy who grew up in their midst, who was at the synagogue every Sunday, who was in their neighborhoods, who ran around with their children, who they had taught, who they had interacted with in the marketplace. Maybe he had sold them some furniture. Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe he did some projects for them. He built them a bookcase. Oh, I mean, a, a scroll case, right? Is that a thing? A scroll case, yeah. Um, <laughs> What is one thing that Jesus built? A scroll case. Um, maybe. I don't know. Tables and chairs, right? Okay, so anyways, but they knew this, this man. They knew him as a boy. And what would be difficult is for them to sort of turn their brains into saying, yeah, but he was just sort of a normal boy. He, he's just like us. Why is he any more special than we are? And so initially they think, wow, he, he knows a lot. He, he's learned a lot, even being so young still, just about 30 years old. And it's amazing what he's able to understand, but, but the question is whether or not they're going to agree with him that he actually is the Messiah, that he truly understands what God has done and what God is doing in the past, in the Old Testament, and then now through him and his ministry. Are they willing to say that this man is a prophet, that this man is receiving a word from God, understanding from God so that he can then proclaim it to us? That's what a prophet does. He receives God's word and he gives it to God's people or he gives it to a group of people. And, and this was something that not everyone did. You, not everyone was a prophet, and not everyone would have been happy to know that, well, why wasn't my son? Why didn't he become a prophet? And, and we see in the Old Testament that usually Israel, maybe not initially, but as the ministry of the prophets went on, they did not follow. They did not heed the words. They did not Follow the advice given. They did not listen to God's word as given by the prophet and, and do it. And so what they did was they turned against the prophets. They killed the prophets. They ran them out of town. I mean, you could read the story of Elijah. And Elijah, as it says in our text, some of the reason why he went out of Israel is because most of the people in Israel didn't like him. They didn't like what he had to say. 
the people were bowing down to other gods. There were only a remnant of people that were left who actually cared about God and were true to God. And so there were many in Israel who hated him. He defeated all, like, hundreds of prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. If you don't know the story, you should look it up in the Old Testament. It's a great story. But he shows that God is the true God and that Baal is not a true God. And what happens after that is the people get mad at him because he killed hundreds of their priests of this other God. And so they get mad at him and they end up running him out of town. And Elijah's like, woe is me, you know, God, you've sent me on this really difficult task. Jesus' ministry was going to end up being similar to such things. I mean, just our text this morning shows that Jesus reads God's word. He, he reads God's word, and then he helps people to understand it properly and says, look, God cares about more than just you here in Nazareth. God cares about more than just the Jews. And I've come to proclaim liberty to those who understand that they need God's grace. And so the question for the the people in Nazareth was, do you think that you need God's grace? Jesus' message was for all who are in need of God's grace. We know that we are all in need of God's grace, but do we realize this for ourselves? When it comes to recognizing whether or not we need salvation, the question is not, do other people see that I need salvation? It's whether I truly understand my need for forgiveness, my need for God's grace. And what... And what the people in Nazareth decide is that we don't need this man telling us how to live and what to do and what to believe. And so they turn on him and they try to kill him. And, you know, I mean, I've, I think I've referenced this a couple times before, but this is like, like a Looney Tunes, you know, picture where a couple people get in a fight and this like dust bowl cloud starts forming, you know, all these exclamation points, you know, are coming out of the cloud. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, if it's Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, you see them and they pop up and then they go back in the cloud and then all of a sudden Bugs Bunny just walks out and it's just Elmer Fudd fighting with himself, you know, kind of one of those things. Um, then this is how Jesus apparently miraculously escapes. This whole crowd is against him and they bring him to, the, to a hill to throw him down off the cliff and somehow he like just kind of passes through their midst, you know, just everyone was so riled up with each other, maybe they started fighting each other. And Jesus kind of is like, just going to get out of here. (laughs) And he goes on to another town and he preaches. Well, what's so unfortunate is that the people who should have had the best opportunity to hear God's word and to receive God's grace forego their chance. They say, no, thank you. They say, We're not the poor, we're not the captives, we're not the blind, we're not the oppressed that need to hear the good news of God's salvation, this proclamation of our deliverance. We don't need that. We already have God. We already have everything we need, is what they're thinking. 
Now, and, I, and I think some of us, many of us, hopefully all of us can see that this is not too dissimilar from where we are in our area today. Living in the Bible Belt, living in, a, in an area that is, has many a church, with a lot of people who have grown up in church, with a lot of people who are familiar with the things to do around church, there is an initial level of understanding that people have. And what's unfortunate is that they get to a point where they've learned enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be actually saved by God's grace. That they know enough to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but they haven't fully recognized that they are the poor, that they are the captive, that they are the blind, that they are the oppressed, that need God's salvation. They say, I I have the things that I need. I I have a decent family. I I have a decent job. I I have decent things surrounding me. I have decent health. And and as long as I continue to have these things, I am fulfilled in my life. I don't need to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit and the word that has been proclaimed that Jesus is Lord and that He shows that He has the power and authority through His words and through His miracles to show that He is worthy of me worshiping Him with all of my life. There are so many people around here and so many of us. I know it's so easy for me to get to the point where I am comfortable with the level that I have reached in my understanding of Scripture, my walk with Jesus that I grow complacent and I grow cold and I grow, I stop growing, really. And I, and I think I've, I've received God's grace. I, I, I know I've needed salvation, but now I'm just going to kind of figure things out on my own. It's easy to get it wrong initially and it's easy to get it wrong after the fact. But what we do as Christians, who we are as a church, we must be, we are a people who depend on the Spirit in order to continue to proclaim the gospel so that we might build each other up as we continue to proclaim the gospel to each other. And then we send each other out on mission so that we can continue to proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard it and those who have not fully understood it. What we're doing here is not some magical, we've got to figure this out, you've got to do these 20 different steps to make disciples. The basic gist of it is we depend on the Spirit to proclaim the gospel by using God's Word so that disciples would be made who continue to proclaim the gospel to themselves and to each other and to those around them. It's, it all comes back to how Jesus himself 
displayed his authority and his mission again and again and again. He began by teaching in the synagogues. He began by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, by proclaiming that he has come to deliver people from their sins. The poor in spirit, he has come to make rich in grace. The blind, he has come to give them sight so that they might spiritually have eyes to see, have ears to hear and understand their depravity, their lack of ability to save themselves and their need for salvation that comes only from the hand of God. In order to proclaim the gospel effectively, we, th- there are a few things that we've, we've got to do. We have to depend on the Spirit. Jesus, we talked about it the last two weeks. He was anointed by the Spirit at His baptism. The Spirit led Him into that temptation, into that testing in the wilderness. And in the power of the Spirit, He began His ministry. We too must depend on the Spirit. Otherwise, if we don't, what we do is we see ourselves as rich. We see ourselves as free. We see ourselves as self-capable, as fully independent people who can figure these things out on our own. But if we're doing all of this, if we're doing this church thing, if we're doing this Christian life thing on our own, what good is that for God? Where, where, where is God then in the picture? What is the Spirit doing? Are, are we just changing people's minds with facts, or is the Spirit changing people's hearts with the truth of the gospel? The only true power and authority that we have as Christians, as people who proclaim the gospel, the only true power and authority that we have comes from the Spirit, and it comes from the Spirit using the Word to magnify Christ. Because this is what leads to God getting the glory. And this is what leads to souls getting saved. Not us just helping people to change their mind, but God changing people's hearts and so then changing people's lives. We have to depend on the Spirit. And as has been mentioned, we have to understand God's Word accurately. If we're going to proclaim God's word, if we're going to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand his word accurately. This is how we're able to build each other up. It can be done wrong. Look at the people's lack of understanding in Nazareth. Look at the devil's attempt to skew God's word at Jesus' temptation and testing. Studying God's Word has to be an integral aspect of what we do as a church, of who we are as Christians. Otherwise, we're prone to think the wrong thing. Naturally, we're probably going to believe something that is not spiritually truthful and accurate. we've got to understand His Word accurately. And the third thing we've got to do, we've got to depend on the Spirit, we've got to understand God's Word accurately, and we've got to submit to His authority. 
so that our mission aligns with his mission. Our mission is the same as Jesus' mission. Verse 43 in our text, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Where he was, he realized, he knew that there were more people who needed to hear the gospel and that for the people who were going to reject him, he needed to move to the next town and he needed to move to the next town and he needed to do what he could to share this gospel all over Israel. Is that that speaker? <laughs> Let's turn it off. Yes, Lord. Um, <laughs> wait, is, I thought it's usually demons in the electrical stuff, right? Like, you know, you never know what the Lord's going to use. <laughs> so, um, we've got to submit to His authority. And one of the things that's interesting you see there in, in verses. 42 and 43 and 44 is that Jesus gave up some good things so that he could do the best thing. It would not have been bad, seemingly, for Jesus to continue to preach to people day in and day out in the same town. I mean, naturally, that's not a bad thing, right? I wouldn't think. If they're going to keep coming back to here, I mean, you know, they could keep learning, right? But you see, sometimes God has plans for us that we don't understand that we don't get that may seem good on the surface, but that we need to realize maybe he's wanting us to make a change. Maybe he's wanting us to do something different. Maybe we've got to get outside of what we're comfortable with or what we're used to. And we've got to realize that being sent out on mission means that we have got to put ourselves in positions that we're not used to being in. We've got to build relationships that we naturally don't want to build. We've got to talk to people in ways that we normally wouldn't talk to them. We've got to bring up topics and bring up ideas that we'd rather not because I just want to have a simple conversation right now. I just want to talk about the weather and how sporadic it is. We can't do what Jesus did. We are not Jesus, but we are his disciples. And when we see how he did his ministry, it is not dissimilar. It is very similar to how our ministry is to be done. We're to care for people. We're to preach the good news to people. We're to build each other up. We're to make disciples. And we're to send each other out so that other people might hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how He has come to fulfill all of the Old Testament, to live the perfect life, to obey God's law perfectly, and to be the sacrifice that pays the debt of our sin, that takes away the power of sin from our lives and from this world, so that we might have a right relationship with Him as we submit to Him as Lord and Savior. 
And he was raised from the dead to show that his power and authority that are mentioned here in our text were not just while he was preaching and teaching, but it was shown decisively through that miraculous Sunday morning when he was raised from the dead to show that he does have the power over sin and death, that his word was true, that what he preached really was accurate, that his authority and his mission were accomplished. And so what's left for us is whether or not we are going to depend on the Spirit in our ministry, whether or not we are going to seek to understand God's Word accurately, whether or not we're going to submit to His authority so that we can proclaim the gospel, so that we can build each other up in community, and so that we can send each other out on mission, all in the power of the Spirit. I pray that this is who we are and that this is how we are defined. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at Jesus and to to see the things that he did, how he began his ministry, how he proclaimed the gospel. God, help us. We need your spirit to make us effectual in our preaching and our proclaiming of the gospel. God, I pray that that gospel would impact our lives so that we would build each other up as a group of people, as people in Abingdon who depend on you and depend on your spirit to change our hearts. You've given us new hearts as Christians, as your children, but would you help us to continue to see that our lives coincide with that new heart, with that salvation that we've received? Build us up. Help us to see the gospel impact all of our lives. The gospel is for all of our lives. We need your spirit to make that happen, to see those changes occur. And God, then help us to live lives that are on mission, that it would not be our will, that it would not be our comfort, but that it would be your will that is done. God, you can do these things. We ask that you would. Use us. Help us to be a people who are ready to be used by you and who are used by you. God, please, would you do that for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.